Welcome to Candid Christian Conversations, a show that challenges you to dive deep into the Word of God in order to discern today's most challenging subjects. I'm Hank, and I'm joined by JP. JP, how are you this time? Fine, Hank. How are you? Doing great. Hey, we got a tough one we're going to tackle this time. Yes, sir. (laughs) We're going to talk a little politics and should Christians be political? Right on. I think I think we can we can do this. We can navigate this. Yeah. So JP, outside of religion, politics, that's the hot button topic that we're advised to avoid when talking to family and friends or e- or even potential uh, future friends that are acquaintances now. Right. But on Sanford Media, we tackle both because we just love the punishment. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into this. We're going to touch on some touchy things. Remember, this is just our opinions. If you ever have any concerns with anything we say, you can email me directly at feedback at StanFirmMedia.com. So let's unpack party affiliations. So we have Christians on both sides of the aisle. As Christians, how can we tell which party might be closer to God's law? And this is a, a, a real touchy one, and I put it in here on purpose. Yeah, it's a good one to lead with, too, because this seems to be the kind of question if politics came up uh, in the context of witnessing. This is the kind of very blunt and honest question that we might get asked, right? Yes. Um, Well, you know, if, if I'm a Christian, which party should I belong to? That's a fair question. If it's okay, I'm going to lay a foundation Uh, or attempt to provide some context based on how I personally manage this issue. And um, and then folks will see that or hear that play through our discussion. Um, But it's worked for me over the years, regardless of where we live in the world or, you know, this will focus quickly on the United States since that's where where I am. Um, Different types, different styles, different forms of government with varying strengths and weaknesses are, are all around us. Governments that promote liberty uh, to some extent uh, or another, governments that restrain it or even oppress it. Uh, we see all of this. While there are plenty of things in Scripture about politics and about government, we don't necessarily see God's endorsement of any particular form of worldly government or politics, a secular form of government. Instead, we see that he uses those to meet his greater sovereign plan. All the while, we're watching and seeing that some of these governments or things that governments do, they look very favorable to us, and other times they they don't at all. Um, the rest of my comments are going to come from the position of being a Christian inside the United States, e- even though we'll uh, some of the things I say I think will apply outside of that as well. So I mentioned in Scripture, we don't see God or acknowledge particular forms of secular government, we certainly don't see God call out or endorse the United States by name or any of our political parties because our country didn't exist when scripture was written. And what we do see clearly in scripture is the revelation of God himself and a worldview that we're expected to embrace uh, as, as Christians, as his children. It's noteworthy that that worldview is independent of any secular government or political party. Uh, And so this begins to form a filter that for me is in place all the time, ideally. Sometimes I I fail myself and my weakness, but this is kind of how I tend to manage this. As Christians, we have to remember that humanity has fallen. And while the creation itself will testify to God, uh, due to the fall, things 
continue to basically rot around us and, you know, so the need for us to be salt and light in the world. We can't forget our need for the Savior, uh, or I, I'll prefer the word here, the Redeemer, given that I just mentioned the fallen state of things. Quite often, the fallen nature of man and, and the governments that man forms remind us very bluntly of what depravity looks like and what um, drives the need for the, I guess, the symptoms of what drives the need for us to have have a savior. Um, it's noteworthy that we're not all collectively told to avoid or wholeheartedly endorse or embrace particular governments, forms of government or uh, political parties. They're just a part of our, our life on earth, uh, an unescapable uh, part, I believe scripture tells us, based on the fact that we know God uses government for a variety of reasons, man, the government of man for a variety of reasons. As Christians, we don't fully disengage based on our citizenship in heaven. We don't fully disengage from, from politics or parties on earth, nor do we fully embrace them at the expense of our faith. As we walk through life, we're going to see perspectives represented in political parties and in their broader platforms, um, individual issues, issues that are more um, broad or bound with other issues. Some of these perspectives or planks within the party will reflect perspectives that we hold as Christians, uh, and others aren't going to do that. So is it possible for one party to be more strongly aligned with or better represent the views of a Christian? I'll say yes. Is it always that way? I'm going to say no, it's not. Um, so for us, the challenge is that our primary loyalty rests with Christ and with the worldview that scripture paints and not in the politics or the government of man. So here, here are four little rules that, that work for me as I consider parties or candidates or whatnot. Always filter your support for a particular political party or an issue or a candidate through that lens of scripture first. Don't get lost in the administration of a, of a worldly government or a secular government don't get lost or, or uh, stray too far away from Scripture because that, that could be folly. As Christians, and I would say as ministers for Christ, consider who you support or choose not to support based on that filter first or even alone, that filter being the, the filter of, or the lens of Scripture. I mentioned we live and minister in a fallen world. We're not going to find perfect candidates. Even if you're convinced a candidate is a Christian, consider that within the church, we find ourselves divided over issues at times, um, sometimes significantly divided. So don't be surprised when we love the stance of a particular candidate or a party on one item, only to discover they also champion views that are openly contrary to scripture. So if there's a fourth rule or summary rule there, it's don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. <laughs> right. We're living in a fallen place. Um, we're, we're citizens of heaven, but living on this earth. Uh, we have a charge to minister in that environment. And so, you know, bring this back to political parties or affiliations, identify with them, favor one or favor uh, platforms or issues that one embraces, but always in the context of scripture first. Yep. And what I found from talking with other Christians is it's all about how you wait a matter. So yeah. does, you know, I'm just going to be blunt here and, and, and I'm, I apologize if it ruffles anyone's feathers, but, um, do you wait a stance for or against homosexuality 
more than you weighed a stance over human rights, where people might say, that's this person's own personal stance. So I don't, I'm not going to get into that. But over here, they're doing such and such to help advance humanity around the world. You know, and it, yeah, yeah. what is your weight on topics? That's the toughie for a lot of people. I, I totally agree. And for me included, right? How do you balance maybe to use sports as a little bit of a metaphor? You know, this is a play by play call. Uh, if we if we remember that we're we're living, swimming in, dealing with playing on the field of the secular we do have to balance that out, right? Uh, my view on on state or federal taxes matters in some context, but I have to balance that against how those taxes are used. So I may I may find a candidate that has a stance on taxes that I don't particularly care for, but they have a very firm stance on the use of those taxes against things that are more obviously contrary to Christian worldview. Right. What do you do? Um, yep. We're doctors living among the sick. We're ministers of the gospel living among the fallen. So, you know, I betrayed my kind of my overall view of this, which is we can't fully disengage, but we can't become consumed by it either. Right. Um, but there isn't going to be it would be awesome if we could find the perfect candidate or the perfect political party. And uh, go, yeah, this is the one. <laughs> and and they're totally lined up with scripture. It goes back to the problem we have in the church, right? right. And, and I say problem, it's not always a problem. Um, we have genuine disagreements over, over things because they matter. Um, well, all the more we should expect to have to struggle with this kind of an issue when we're talking about the government of man and human and quite often not Christian candidates yep. who are going to administer that government. A ton of them have detached themselves from Christianity. Yeah. And, you know, it's another discussion probably, too, is we all know we have among us, among our friends and neighbors, we have people that are, we have some reasonable confidence that they're Christians in the biblical sense, in the, in the orthodox, little o orthodox sense. And then we know that there are people around us that are social Christians or cultural Christians in that uh, if you if you really got into a theological discussion with them, you find out their identity with the church is more about where they were born or what their parents believed and not about a personal relationship. Um, so we'll hear people talk about their faith and about Christianity in a political context, but I think we become the judges of fruit, right? Not their souls, but when they call themselves an apple tree and they produce grapefruits, we have an obligation to call that out. Yes. Am I questioning their faith? Not necessarily. Am I questioning their works? Yep. And I think we'll I, we'll talk about works in a little bit here too. But my best friend has a saying: I don't have a heaven or a hell to put you in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, if we are in the mindset that one political party is better than another, uh, what should we do as Christians to help that? particular party win the election? You know, how far should we go with that? Yeah, as practical uh, impact, we sort of danced up to this. This, like so many things for me, is a matter of um, conscience. And like that balance we were just talking about, you have a party that you may decide you align with best and you begin to identify with that party. I, I don't know that that's wrong unless it overtakes 
the primary view of the world and of our lives and our role in the world that is scripture based. What do you do? Do you do you know the candidate and maybe you encourage them as a friend? Do you contribute money to a campaign? Do you write letters to other officials letting them know the support you have for somebody who runs against them? I think all of these things are okay. It's also okay if you engage with a candidate. Say I'm going to I'm going to provide I want to send money to a to a candidate who's running locally or at the state level um, because I strongly identify with their position on an issue like abortion or on uh, rights that are expressed within the amendments to the Constitution or, or anything like that. And I'm, I'm passionate enough about it that I'm going to support them. That candidate, though, takes a position on another issue that I don't like at all. And if I could remake them in my own still flawed, you know, ideal image, I, I would have them change that. Well, if, if conscience allows, you support them and encourage them in the matters that matter. Make it clear to them, don't just throw money at a candidate, for example, or, or provide a, an open endorsement, meaning that you start to talk openly with your friends and colleagues about who this person is. Tell the candidate, I'm contributing to your campaign because I really appreciate your stance on abortion. However, I also have a problem with and fill in that blank too. let them know beyond the bumper sticker where you stand. You don't know, maybe that candidate hears enough of that kind of feedback in the form of support. They may not even know I'm a Christian, by the way, but this Christian support of them, when I call out particular issues that I appreciate them for and ones that I don't, they hear enough of that kind of feedback whether it's well-motivated or just compliance with the herd, right? The folks that are going to put them in office, maybe they change a stand that they have. Yep. But short of just abstaining, which I think is an impossibility from government, you might as well do the best you can do without violating your own conscience. So what do we do to help the party win? You know, really the party is about Candidates, parties don't f occupy offices, people do. Um, you support those candidates as best you can in the context of your conscience. And you, but you, I think we also have an obligation to make it clear to that party, the officials of that party or the individuals running for office, what you don't like. Uh, and then it shouldn't surprise them later when you drop the bomb on them because the wind's changed and you say, I can't support you anymore. Right. Because of your position on this or this issue has become too big. That's the real world. That's us living among uh, the fallen world. When our candidate does not win, and uh, you know, a lot of people experiences this this last go around, as Christians, how should we behave? Right. Yeah. So if everything about us, you know, I said we're ministers, right? We're all ministers. Winning and losing, it happens every election, uh, just like it happens in sports, right? Somebody got their way, somebody didn't, or somebody apparently got most of their way and somebody didn't. I don't think it should be handled any differently than any other secular win or loss. Uh, there may be weightier things involved in our government and the way that it governs than there are in things like sports, for example. There's a spectrum of all of that in our lives, but we're talking about the secular here. So uh, wins from the Christian perspective for me are the ones that we believe help advance the gospel. Th this could be a very individual view, by the way, what a win or what a loss is. But we generally, I assume we would agree that we feel like we've won something when we've advanced 
a candidate into an elected position who who tends to represent the gospel well, even if they're not a Christian. They they advance the cause of Christ, whether they realize it or not. Um, the loss, obviously, is the opposite. I think I need to balance the win and the loss together here. When we win, we shouldn't be punks, right? We shouldn't be bullies. Um, we don't need to to you know give it to the the loser and show <laughs> you know ah, I told you. I mean, we need to be we need to be ladies and gentlemen about this. We need to be Christians. So when we win, there's nothing wrong with celebration and and enjoying that win for you know the the victory for the moment because this is all fleeting anyway. Um, when we lose, though, how we behave and how we react calls for, as with all things, I think a level of maturity. Uh, and and here's why. In fact, it may be more important how we behave when we lose in some context than when we win. Yeah. Um, when our candidate loses, when our party loses. Because that's adversity um, by anybody's definition. If their team loses, if their political party loses, their candidate loses, these are the pains and the struggles in life. And one of the things I believe, this is again my own experience, that makes us stand out in spite of ourselves as Christians is when we're endeavoring to represent God well in all things and we come through or come to and then start to enter and move through a, a time of trial. Our reactions as Christians, I believe, are noticeably different if we're Christ-focused, if we're Christ-centered. We may not even realize that people see that difference. They also, they, if if they're not Christians, in my own experience, people will approach you and call out something they see in you as a strength when you're thinking the whole time you had miserably failed. I've really let God down. My attitude, my... Um, reaction or whatnot, because we're focused on God first. And somebody you know or you work with comes up and says, I'm amazed at how well you handled this, or I don't understand how your reaction wasn't big or bad or worse or what have you. This applies to political struggle as well. And when people see us handle adversity maturely and in the context of Christianity or Christianity in Christ first, not the political party or the struggle, almost in spite of us, I think the Holy Spirit allows those around us to see, somehow see Christ in us. It, you know, frankly, it's, it's miraculous. We cling to, we embrace to the great, most important struggle of all, which is the redemption uh, of, of man. And don't forget that Christ said it's finished and everything else is subordinate to that. Uh, every and second to that, or third, or fifth, or a hundredth to that, our participation in politics is a part of our ministry. To whatever the extent as we participate, when that comes with the lows that it comes with, you know, my prayer for me myself is always, God, help others see you in me in spite of my disappointment, my loss, my fear, my anger, whatever that is. Um, so, how do we act? How do we behave when our candidate loses? Um, it, it sounds like a bumper sticker, but I hope we behave like Christians <laughs> <laughs> and not like the world often reacts when their candidate loses or a particular position or platform or agenda item is defeated. Um, it's okay to be upset or be saddened or that something that you believe helps further the gospel is defeated. Of course, that's going to upset us, but how we react to that needs to look like Christ much more ideally entirely 
um, but much more than it looks like how the world reacts to the same circumstances. And I always have to remind myself, you know, because it's kind of comical that we're like, oh, no, now this other person's in office. Now God is no longer in control. Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> you know, yes, he like, is. duh. Yeah. You know, you, you got to get away from the the optics of a situation. Because what means more sometimes is what if you have this ideal candidate get in and he does all these things, but what would be even more miraculous and probably bring more people to Christianity is if you had a perceived pagan leader doing all these things and you're like the wrong candidate actually ends up furthering the gospel. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yes, (laughs) it would be. When discussions arise amongst Christians and secular individuals, how should those be handled? So here we are talking fellowshipping with each other, right? Right. Does that work? And politics comes up. Or maybe I want to bring politics up. I painted the picture of politics as as an environment, right, that we live in. We can't escape it. So it seems totally appropriate that we would have these discussions at the right time, right, with the right people. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and 32 challenges us to strive not to offend, my, my paraphrase, right? We try not to cause others to stumble. Oh, by the way, we carry an offensive message in the eyes of the world. So this is an interesting <laughs> friction that exists. But when we're with others, when we're in fellowship with others, knowing, as you mentioned, Hank, that there are people on both sides of the aisle should the conversation include politics. I, I think it should only when it's appropriate. Um, when it furthers the fellowship. I mentioned the challenges uh, when, when we were talking about the previous question. And what I think we basically did without saying it was make the argument that that you and I, and I think all of us need to have our brothers and sisters around us. And that includes for those times when we're wrestling with political things. Does every brother and sister need to hear every thought and every conversation about every political? Absolutely not. They also don't need to hear about all the other stuff in our lives. Um, but across the, the the family of Christ, we have our brothers and sisters that we can engage in these issues to include our frustrations, our disappointments, our genuine questions. I don't know what to do about this issue, this candidate. I don't know. And you get that feedback. Your brothers and sisters become sounding boards. We have to talk about politics, but that doesn't mean we have to broadcast when a discreet transmission is is called for. As Christians, what can we do so we don't get too caught up in politics? Because uh, this last election was proof that Christians do get caught up in politics sometimes. Yes, yes. Um, two, two things, pretty simple, and it's building on what we've talked about. Um, first, always strive to remind yourself that we belong to God first, ministering on his behalf and in the midst of a fallen world. That world needs salvation and our primary purpose regardless of how it plays out through daily life, is, is the gospel. So we strive not to let politics take the place of that perspective. Politics happens underneath that broader umbrella or perspective. Um, second, have the support of a few brothers and sisters, just like we talked about, who are like-minded that you can go to and confess, not, not in the sense of, of sin, but could be sin, but just open your heart to them. And, and um, what you get back is that support uh, and that positive encouragement, that refocus on the first thing, right? The gospel comes first. We're God's children first, and we're living in this world, and we're going to struggle together as brothers and sisters to 
do our best to be salt and light, knowing that all of this around us is is rotting. That's perfectly stated. Uh, this is also another uh, challenging one that that uh, can cause some some uh, debates. But is there any evidence that we will be held accountable for what we support on Earth? When you think of politics, like you have stated well, that they're not very few, if any, are are trying to uphold the gospel in any way, shape, or form. So it's not right. like that we're siding with some biblical principle over another biblical principle, but maybe sometimes the things that are allowed or that they try to pass through might not be so palatable for the Christian faith. Yeah, I, I put engagement on any level with or in politics into the bucket that is just called works. And I can't think of a particular passage of scripture that talks about how we engage in political issues. Um, I, I think we scripture gives us evidence and there's disagreement inside the church on this issue. Um, so I'm going to give you my position. There is ample evidence in scripture that our judgment relative to salvation as Christians is something we can have confidence in. It's set, you know, our, our salvation is secured by Christ. Uh, we didn't get it by working. We got it by grace. So that matter is done um, for us. However, there are scriptures that I believe make it clear that in the context of being among the redeemed, when we face God, the salvation issue is now set aside and our works are judged not to determine salvation. That's secure. Our works are judged because we are first and foremost ministers. So, um, you know, if Ephesians 2 uh, 8 through 10, for example, gives us some assurance that that our salvation is held by God and we're not going to wreck that. That salvation doesn't become a blanket excuse for us to conduct ourselves however we see fit. Uh, I've mentioned it before when we talk. There's Christian liberty is one of my favorite themes within Scripture, the, our freedom we have in Christ to do amazing things things, things that were restricted under the law or applied as restrictions under the law, we're free to do and what we eat and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but that's not license. License, you can't use your security in Christ as an excuse to, to do bad works or to sin. James 2, 18 through 20 tells us our works are actually demonstrations of our faith, right? I'll show you my faith by my works. Um, I'm going to read one quick thing that John Piper wrote, who's one of my favorite theologians. Um, he tried to paint a picture of this judgment that we face as Christians um, when we get to heaven. So again, this is a picture. He's not saying this is exactly how it plays out, but I think it paints an awesome example of kind of how I believe we're going to get handled by, by God. Um, God has a file. This is Piper. God has a file in every person. The books, plural, of Revelations 20:12. All you've ever done or said reference there is Matthew 12, 36, is recorded there with a grade. We'll just say A to F, what a, you know, there, there's some grade there. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, referenced in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, to be judged for, quote, what you have done in the body, whether good or evil, God will open the files, lay out the tests with the grades. He'll put all the Fs, uh, pull out all the Fs and put them in a pile. Then he'll take all the Ds and Cs and put the good parts of those in place with the A's and then puts the bad F's 
I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, even though I told you I was going to read a quote. <laughs> he puts all the all in the stuff in the end that is judged as failures, uh, even if they had moderately passing grades into the F pile, all the stuff that was acceptable to him in the good pile. Then he's going to open another book called The Book of Life and find your name because you are in Christ and through faith, uh, in Christ through faith. Behind your name will be a wood. This is a cool picture, I think, and not literally. I don't believe literally what's going to happen, but behind your name will be a wood stick match made from the cross of Christ. He will take the match, light it and set the F pile to fire with all of your failures and deficiencies and burn them up. They will not condemn you and they will not reward you. Then he'll take uh, from your book of life file, a sealed envelope marked free and gracious life and put it on the A pile. And then he gives a reference here, Mark 424 and then Luke 638. He will hold up the entire pile and declare, by this, your life bears witness to the grace of my father, the worth of my blood and the fruit of my spirit. These bear witness that your life is eternal. And according to these, you will have your rewards, enter into the everlasting joy of your master. He doesn't say, and I don't believe scripture necessarily says what those rewards are in addition to, I just got in, at least I'm in heaven. Um, That's that's not a bad perspective, but we are promised that there's more based on our works. We're held accountable. Back to politics, yes, uh, I think that that is in the works bucket and how we wrestle with and manage that. I don't know that it's really as clean as an A and an F pile (laughs) because life is complex and it's even more complex, I think, than we can see as humans. Um, but God is just and he's fair and he's sovereign and he loves us and he's going to he's going to judge properly. And I don't think we'll have any room to even bicker. We're just going to fall on our faces and thank him for his grace. Amen. But whatever that good pile is, however, he determines those good works that we have glimpses of because of our understanding of scripture, there will be rewards for the pile of works that did not honor God in it, in the entirety of that statement, that stuff will be burned away. Uh, and it's going to be clear to us why that happened. The good news is for the Christian, that judgment was not one to determine your salvation. Your salvation was accomplished by Christ, by grace through faith, not, not of works. Real quick, do you have any final thoughts? Just to restate, if, I hope this helps others out there, I I try and I fail, but I try to approach everything in life, including this, this environment, this atmosphere we live in that we'll just call politics and how we execute politics in America. That's where, where I am. That's works. And we're ministers of Christ in that environment. Don't forget that. Um, Prayerfully consider what your individual roles are. This is what I do, what my individual role is in this regard, how engaged I am on an issue with a candidate. Do I send money? Do I openly advocate or support? Can I explain why? That's all in the context of being a minister of the gospel. Being involved in politics is okay. It's not wrong, although your involvement can be, how you involve yourself, I guess is the best way, can be wrong. Um, So frame that involvement as best you can filter it by scripture we're christians first you know and then the charge or the charter would be as you dabble you struggle you swim through this world of politics is go minister amen well 
that is going to do it for this edition of Candid Christian Conversations. JP, that was some fantastic stuff, and I appreciate you tackling this challenging subject. Thank you, brother. That is going to do it for this edition, and we are going to wrap it up right now. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast by heading to stanfirmmedia.com slash subscribe. For JP, I'm Hank. Until the next time, we're signing off. Thank you for listening to Candid Christian Conversations. Feel free to submit your feedback by heading to standfirmmedia.com slash feedback.